If you feel that life is just giving you more than you can handle, please realize that you are not alone. Welcome to Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out with your hosts, the founders of Abba Daddy House, Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We're here to listen and provide help for you and others. At last, you have a place to speak out and be heard. Now, here are your hosts, Annette and Myrna. It's Friday and we're here coming yeah. live from Ma- Major Bargains in Cottonwood, Idaho. I'm Myrna. I'm Annette. Nothing like being on twice in one week. Yeah. <laughs> we're um, John Mauger. He's the owner of Major Bargains here in Cottonwood. And he has graciously allows us to use his office and his internet to broadcast from. So we want to make sure that we tell John thank you and that we appreciate that because at our house, our internet doesn't work. And right now our house has almost five foot of snow. And it's really bad out there. Yeah, the internet's buried. It is. It is. Um, so, yeah, Larry's up on the roof again today, getting the snow off the roof of the house. So I hope he's fine. If not, I guess we'll find him when we get home today. He's on a ladder. He's not oh, on he's house. on a ladder? Okay. Yeah. Well, today we have a guest, and his name is Lawrence Jefferson. He was born in Atlanta, Georgia. He listed in the U.S. Army in May of 1989, and then in April of 1990, he earned his parachutist badge, joining the elite ranks of the Airborne, and we will ask um, Lawrence later to explain what the Airborne is. He served in Kuwait and Iraq during Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm. He returned to combat during Operation Iraq Freedom in 2004, 2005, and yet again during Operation Enduring Freedom in 2008 and 2009, serving with both the 1st Infantry Division, the Big Red One, and the 101st Airborne Airborne Screaming Eagles. He has received Purple Heart while he was engaged in action in November 2008, and we will be um, talking about that when he was part of a convoy providing security for an ambassador to Iraq, Christopher Dell. He currently is here in Cottonwood, Idaho, and works out here at the North Idaho Correctional Institute. He is a corporal. He was a promoted, excuse me, to a corporal in 2014 and to sergeant in 2017. And he is married to lovely Tanya, and they have six adult children. Welcome, Lawrence. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. Good, good. Yeah, Lawrence. <clears throat> what do you say about being out of the services, for one thing? Out of the services, mm-hmm. um, it's hard when you get when you spend uh, all your adult life. You, you have to remember, I joined when I was seventeen, and then I got out in two thousand thirteen. I was so I was forty one, mm-hmm. practically. So I mean, I spent my entire adult life in the army and Army National Guard. It was the way of life is kind of hard at first to come back out into the civilian world because uh, the military is all about structure everything mm-hmm. there's no guesswork we know what we're going to do and then they come out and actually have to create plans it's kind of hard you know but it's been a joyous experience well you got a lot of structure in your life now you got well, a lot yes, of stuff yes, you're doing yes <laughs> yes that's probably why i went to corrections mm-hmm. paramilitary mm-hmm. so that's a lot of work mm-hmm. i used to work in corrections myself when i yeah. was in kansas but it's rewarding Mm-hmm. very rewarding it is and you're still helping people you're still mm-hmm. doing things for people you're changing lives exactly. So exactly a different way though yeah a different way why don't we start by telling people about your childhood so my childhood um 
you know, is uh, I'm probably a typical American, you know. Um, but my childhood was actually kind of hard um, because of different circumstances. My dad, my real dad, left uh, left our life very early, and so it was kind of in and out with uh, mom's boyfriends and stepdads, I guess you'd say. I can't really recall because uh, you have to understand my dad um, and my mo- mother were, my mother was a true dove, like a real dove. So that's the, that's who I grew up with. And, and um, my father, um, you know, he went to Morehouse College, the same college as Martin Luther King. So he was actually part of the militant uh, Black Panther group. So back in those days, it was a different country. So these are the mindset that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> For those, what, for those of our listeners who don't know, could you explain what true, the true dove was? So a true dove is not these, uh, oh, how do I say it without insulting people, you know, the, people have a, it was a whole philosophy of the whole peace, okay. love and happiness mm-hmm. uh, through use of psychedelics. And, but you got to understand, this is not like a drug user that you sign um, a lot of users nowadays. I mean, this, you're talking about people in college. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was working on her, uh, I think she was working on her bachelor's at the time. She eventually became a librarian. You know, that's how they met her. That's how my dad and my mom met her at these rallies. Oh, you know, okay. These were college people mm-hmm. rallying because they were against Vietnam. There was a lot mm-hmm. of big um, civil rights movements. Mm-hmm. I mean, and these are the people that led the way. They probably shouldn't have been as high as they were, but that's that was the norm back then. So right. you know, they were part of that crazy country, Woodstock, and mm-hmm. that they were the real deal. And so the philosophies I grew up with were very um, non-standard, I guess would mm-hmm. say. So there was a lot of non-standard life around me. Mm-hmm. And as she got older, um, of course, all that's going to catch up with you. And so when it catches up with you, it also catches up with your children too. So doing such me and my brother never we didn't go through the the typical american life you know there was abuse there was some really really dark times mm-hmm. you know and um the path i was heading down because of that um wasn't a very good path and so the one good thing in my life is um because the circumstances it came to a head between me and one of the stepdads i ended up having to go live with my grandfather and my grandfather coming to my life was the best thing because he is a World War II vet. And he was a detective at the time when I moved in with him. Um, he's the one that taught me morals, gave me that. He, he planted that seed that there could be a, another way at uh, doing things. And so that's that's probably why I ended up joining the Army, age 17, because it was either do that or I probably ended up in prison, dead. There's no telling where I would end it up. Mm-hmm. And um, So what branch of military was your grandpa in? U.S. Army. U.S. Army. Yeah, US what was Army. his rank? He retired as a sergeant. Okay. Yeah. Well, not retired. I think he just got out as a sergeant. Okay. Yeah. So, um, because back then, he uh, he earned his stripes during Battle of World War II. So, he, mm. he went in. He went in, I think, in Omaha as a private, and he came out the other end when they liberated Dow Cal as a sergeant. Oh, so, wow. okay. you know, battlefield promotions are because um, the people over him got killed, and he had to take those, you know, mm. those places, you know. Mm. So, um um, wow, what a way to get promoted, huh? Yeah, yeah, right. Mm. Battlefield like, promotions. Battlefield promotions. Mm. But, Step up to the job. <clears throat> but it was his stories and, you know, all that that is like, okay, if I'm going to, I can possibly make something out of myself by doing this. And that's a lot of uh, people need to understand about um, 
you know, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, you know, there was a lot of draftees that didn't have a choice, you know. And so sometimes I, I used to hear that thrown in my face. Well, you know, we did, you weren't drafted, you know. It's like, yeah, but you don't understand is that, um, like, the service nowadays is like an avenue for those of us that are in the poorhouse that we feel less than. And we know, I know that's distorted thinking, but that's the way that we feel. And the only way that we're going to get a chance to have that better life is the military is one option that we can do, you know. Um, and so the service is made up of a lot of people that um, are we're broken and we're looking to fix ourselves through the military mm-hmm. you know because we need that structure it's going to give us something it's going to give us the confidence it's going to make us the the warrior the sailor marine you know airman whatever what what have mm-hmm. you you know but we uh we embody something else that the american people will respect you because they won't respect me if i'm still that kid that's out there partying all the time or something I won't have a chance so did your brother choose the military also or did nope my brother did, did not, not choose the military okay. nope he did not choose the military no. sometimes people go into the military though to run away from stuff that too mm-hmm. yeah that too mm-hmm. yeah there's a myriad of reasons mm-hmm. but once we get in the indoctrination is very very good that it really doesn't matter mm-hmm where we came from because right. from then on out it's about you and the guy next to you mm-hmm. that's instilled in you mm-hmm. you know that warrior ethos that we take and that's that's what you live by that's what you become you know because sometimes there's nothing else but you and the guy next to you so do you think that <coughs> excuse me and it was army right yes ma'am so do you think you finally found a family yes yes it becomes it it be, I don't know if you have much more than family, but it's like family is not even the word to describe it sometimes, the things that you go through mm-hmm. um, with your brothers and sisters in arms. You know, it is a, it's a strong um, brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it. You know, the, those bonds are deep, very deep. So, you know. so do you miss that connection now that you're out of the military? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes and no because see that's the trickery there with um, when you suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome is sometimes um, you alienate yourselves from them because mm-hmm. it's a constant reminder mm-hmm. and when you're going through those deals sometimes that's the last people you want to be around even though that should be the people you're around right. but because of the condition it it causes you to do everything that you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. So, they become the trigger. Exactly, they become the trigger. Mm-hmm. They become the trigger, and and I'm still dealing with that part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that they were your lifeline while you were in the services, and they were your buddy system. And then when you get out and you have the post traumatic syndrome, they become your trigger. Well, when you're in, you have a purpose. Mm-hmm. You have an objective. You're all working toward one goal, so you don't have time to think about all this stuff. But Well, you become numb in. When it's all said and done and it's after the fact, then you're left, okay, now what do we do? What are, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You got time to think. Mm-hmm. You know, you got time to feel the things that, you sh- that we weren't allowed to feel then because we wouldn't be able to do what we did right. if we allowed motions to get in the way. So that's why the military teaches us switches. It's just sometimes our switches get stuck. Mm-hmm. And they stay all all the time on. Hence, why you got guys that really have a hard time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, 
on the Vietnam guys, God bless their soul, they paved mm-hmm. the way. Yes, but, they did. Um, that's a perfect example. You know, their switch is all the time mm-hmm. on. And we teach how to go in there and, and turn the switches off mm-hmm. and how to defuse the bombs. Mm-hmm. Defuse the bombs, yes. Because mm-hmm. yep. um, we in your on your bio, we were, said we would come back to, would you explain people to people, our listeners, the, what airborne is, the elite ranks of the airborne? So people used to have a joke that, you know, God protects babies and fools. So airborne is a fool because uh, we are soldiers that uh, are trained to um, go into the airborne operations. Is just that you uh, you learn how to jump out of airplanes. You become a parachutist. So, But it's just not like you're... Hey, I'm gonna go skydive. This is uh, you learn how to take an objective from the air. You know, um, if any of you ever seen, um, I suggest it. If you ever seen the documentary about the 101st Airborne, the Band of Brothers, that's an airborne unit. They dropped in under fire. You know, you 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 take an objective from the air. So you're you and a whole, you know, we call them sticks or chalks on the on the C-130, C-141s, Blackhawks, Chinooks, whatever mm-hmm. you have to be jumping out of. You and all your other buddies go out this plane, and you're usually static line, so it pulls your chute for you, and there you are. You're out there in your parachute, and you got all your combat gear, and you're going on the objective. So it's just a quicker mode of transportation into the fight. So, But while you're floating down, you're in you, full view. Oh, you're full view, yeah. yeah. So what's going to protect kinda, you there? Yeah, it's kind of hard to duck and move when you're exactly. in the air. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you p- feel pretty vulnerable up there. Usually on combat drops, we used to do what's called mass attack. So mass attack is um, is what uh, you can take a whole battalion and dump them out all at once. Because usually it makes multiple passes, but sometimes we don't have that uh, option. So you just dump your entire company, battalion, whatever. You're all out at the same time and everything. And you just massively drive. That's why you call it mass attack. Um, that could be, but usually when you do that, you do it at low level. So that way, you know, 400 foot. So sometimes oh. that's not even if you mess up at 400 foot, something happens. You don't even have time to pull your reserve. Mm-mm. So that's Mm-mm. pretty scary. So that's mm-hmm. that's one of those assaults. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, usually we're about you know 12, 1700. You got time to look around or something. This it's pretty fun. But now I look back on it, I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking, jumping out of airplanes. That's pretty crazy. But uh, airborne people jump out of airplanes. Okay. Yeah. Did you go into the military? For the intention of that, or? No, it just seemed like a cool thing to do when they were talking about it in basic training. Hey, and you want to go airborne, you get to be elite. Airborne is the way to go. I was like, that sounds cool. That would be fun because I had a fear of heights. Oh. So I figured getting over my fear of heights, I would join the airborne. Okay. So did you? You're so high up in an airplane and it's surreal. So it didn't even seem real. Mm-hmm. So to this day, I still don't like getting on roofs. Oh. Airplanes I can jump out of. When I get on a roof, I still get that queasiness. Oh. So I guess yes and no, it helps. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that doesn't make sense, but okay. <laughs> Maybe you need to put a parachute on when you're on when the roof. When I'm on the roof and then I feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you ever have any close calls? Um, close calls in my military service? Yeah. Uh, jumping out. No, actually, no, no, no. Close calls. We have what's called the PLF. It's supposed to be the five-point 
landing, you know, feet, knees, butt, back, and there's a way you're supposed to roll. But oh, okay. that's textbook. You never land that way, though. And any airborne soldier can tell you. Usually it's like feet, head, back, into trees. and it, it never goes down the way that you're supposed to do it. So. Okay. Well, I, um, I probably wouldn't get in an airplane and jump out anyway. Oh, it would be fun. Civilian parachuting <laughs> is it would be awesome. Fun. Okay, well you'd enjoy it. I would leave that up to you. <laughs> I'll watch. I'll watch and wave at you, right? You'd enjoy it because you'd be chumming the earth. I would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to take a break and we will be back and talk some more about Lawrence's um, experiences in the military. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a testimony of God's healing power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book. Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. All righty. We are back. We've been speaking with Lawrence Jefferson, who has spent, I think he was in... Everything that could happen in over in Iraq these last, and he's also you've been in I, Operation Enduring Freedom in, in Afghanistan, haven't you, yes. Lawrence? Yes. Okay. So how long was that? How long were you in that? So let's see. Afghanistan was 2008 and 2009. So yeah. So how did the just how did the um, let me say I don't want to say well how did the conditions compare to when you're in Desert Storm, Desert Shield Storm and Sword, and Freedom Two and Three, compared to the Afghanistan. So, Iraq is an industrialized nation. I mean, it used to be the seat of OPEC. I mean, you know, so it was industrialized. Right. It got toppled when Saddam Hussein was taken out of power. We had to rebuild, but it has structure. Afghanistan is like the Wild West. So. Um, when they went in in 2001 and took the control from the Taliban it toppled everything I mean you're talking about a country that had been in war well I mean it was at war with the Russians for 
you know, for however long. And I mean, that country has seen nothing but warfare. Um, infrastructure systems were not the best. So that's the only thing I can compare it to is the Wild West. Um, so totally different uh, area of operations, two totally different wars, you know. Um, so very little structure. Very little structure. Um, we were you trying to build something from the ground up. Okay. You know, um, uh, the Taliban, you know, of course, was a, a recognized uh, government. They tried to be a government, whatever, um, you know, because in Islam, you know, their church is their state. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything. But um, different, very different different players, you know, because um, in Afghanistan, we were some of the Taliban and then actually some of the people that we were training to fight the Taliban are the old Mujahideen, you know, which fought the Russians, which was, if people don't know the history, we we created the Mujahideen and everything. We supported that. So mm-hmm. there was a lot, of, a lot of things. There was a lot of players involved and warlords and it was just a totally different thing um, because they're tribal. You know, how we identify ourselves is Americans, right? right. American first, and then I'm from Kentucky, right. I'm from Idaho. Well, they're not like that. They're tribal. They're first of their tribe, you know, like uh, they're Taji, Kazara, whatever, um, Pashtun. Um, they're that first with their tribe, and then they might be Afghan. See, we were trying to give them a sense of nationality, mm-hmm. Afghan people, and that's still a concept that we're trying to do over there, and that's not the way they see it. It's still very tribal tribal mm-hmm. mentality is very different from an industrialized nation two totally separate concepts and when you're trying to bring a nation together that makes it very hard to do things you know very very hard because they see themselves as separate first yeah and, and, it, not and, it, and it goes down to village to village i mean the village oh, wow. can be 10 feet away from each other but if this village does not like this village it makes for a bad day trying to get these guys to work together mm-hmm. you know and, and we dealt with that all the time mm-hmm. you know so, why don't we kind of start with um, November 2008 in Afghanistan? November 16, 2008. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of Purple Heart guys, um, they call it their alive day. You know, and you can ask any person, unless they were like totally oblivious today, but most Purple Heart earners, you can ask them, they can tell you the exact time of day on uh, when their alive day was, is what we call it. You're thinking that's when your your life took a change. You were born again, because you know we could have, mm-hmm. you know we we joke about it too. We call it the enemy marksmanship badge, you mm. know, because you know maybe you zigged when you should have zagged. But um, yeah, that's a day that I always remember. It's a very day, you know. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what happened? Um, so we were um, if some people have read the uh, excerpt that you took from various news articles about it. We were, uh, it was basically a mission. We were supposed to give a tour to U.S. Ambassador Chris Dell. Um, he was going to come in with his security detail. We were going to give him a tour of the area operations. Um, and our uh, Olympic was our our, our uh, platoon's name. Was Everybody has, we have code names in the military. We love it. And so we were Olympic. And our units was uh, designated to be the military escort um, for Ambassador Crystal. So, on our way to en route to meeting him, um, 
we were, I think we were about a mile or two out or a kilometer or whatever the distance was. And um, a car had run around the rear gun of our uh, security detail. And um, I remember Sergeant Traska calling up saying there was a car coming up on our left pretty fast. And then I could hear uh, Frenchie, uh, my gunner, Lafreniere, trying to spin the turret. Um, but it was a manual turret. They have these cool electric turrets, but we weren't good enough. We didn't get those. So we had these crank turrets, and he couldn't spin the gun quick enough around. So he took up his uh, M4. And uh, about that time, um, yeah, it just... Uh, and that's when everything changed because it didn't really compute. There's a car coming up, you know. We just, we just uh, training takes over, and then um, there was a detonation. It was a, it was a car bomb. It was a suicide car bomb that had detonated. Um, and it, after the fact, now we realize there's a specific reason why they hit our truck is because our truck was supposed to be the main security truck with the U.S. ambassador. So if if he he was late. Um, matter of fact, Mr. Dell said that they had saw it explode as they were landing. They had seen it mm. that day when they were landing. Um, Camp Stone, which is 15 clicks away, felt it. You know, because um, I blown heard, you completely out of the water. Yeah, it could have, but at the angle that it hit, whenever we look back at it, um, one of our, our the special forces team that came and did the battle damage assessment and um, and then took our reports and you know we're trying to reconstruct what happened. Um, when Franchi took up his M4 and pointed it at the guy, it detonated. He detonated early because what they usually do because our our armored Humvees are pretty damn armored. Or excuse my um, excuse my language. Sorry, it's they're okay. they're That's pretty right. armored and um and. Uh, what they like to do is they like to come up beside us and then detonate because what it will do it will roll the UHD yeah. over and it will kill everybody inside and everything. And uh, he was he was like a 500 pound is what they guess because it damaged it damaged two trucks that were 300 meters away on either side. It damaged those two. That's how big he was. But when uh, Frenchie was able to get him to detonate, his engine block happened to be facing toward our truck. So you're thinking that that made the blast go out to the side rather to go directly into us mm-hmm. and everything. So that's the only reason um, I think that we were able to survive it. It was a God thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, you know, I used to talk about us riding around in armored Humvees. I used to talk about the armor. I used to say, like, oh, man, you know, we're bogged down. Um, but now I'm a firm believer. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Um I remember um, all that's crazy. I remember um, I was just talking to uh, my daughter the other night because I actually took out the battle records um, because anytime something significant happens, there's statements. There's all sorts of stuff for you to get an award. Everything's documented. And I was reading all these statements and everything, and um, there's like a lot of stuff. And then I remember there was one point that I've forgotten about is, um, you know, my concern for my men when I came to um, – but when we got to the hospital, the Roll 2 hospital, um, before they moved us to Kandahar, I remember the ambassador over looking at Frenchie, and I remember a doctor talking to me. And um, it just didn't quite compute. You know, I was, I was worried about Frenchie and everything, and then he told me, stop. You need to stop so I can evaluate. And you know, all of a sudden, like, I remember all of a sudden realizing I just went through a car bomb. I got blood all over me. I still smelled the cordite, and then just finally triggered, I'm hurt. You know, and then it set in. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I didn't remember that until I was reading it the other night that, you know, it just, it just becomes so chaotic. 
Yeah. Um, when it first started, did did things go in slow motion? So a lot of people say they don't remember stuff. For me, like every time I had my near death experiences, I guess you want to call them, um, things slow down. They become really surreal. I can tell you every second, unless I was like unconscious or you know training took over or something. But I, I can tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and it's crystal clear. You know, and sometimes that's what made it hard. Sometimes I wish I wouldn't. I wish I was one of those people who's like, yeah, everything was a haze. I don't remember. I wish it was that way because that's what makes it hard, you know, sometimes um, to deal with triggers because it, cause you do remember the event. So there's things that you see afterwards that triggers you because it, your mind automatically goes there, you know, and you, and you feel that, you know, now now I can go there. I have what's called dual awareness, but that's through a lot of, a lot of support, counseling, healing. Yeah. How many people were in the Humvee? How many? So there were four of us. Yeah. There were four of us, and it was we, me and the guys in the truck uh, for a couple of years afterwards used to talk about that because we totally jinxed ourselves from the get-go, from the mission brief. Because the mission brief, we had this little, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, not ritual, but uh, something that's like the, um, the clothes that you get the brief in is a clothes that you wear on the mission. Okay, mm-hmm. so oh. we're going to come back after okay. the break, but we're going to just have everybody guess what we're going to come up with on the next in the next segment. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a break right now. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4 verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. We've been talking with Lawrence Jefferson, and he is a proud soldier of the United States of America, and we are very proud to have him on our show. And I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, We are proud. He's our buddy. He is. And he's been talking with us about his his um, reborn day on November sixteenth, two thousand eight, yeah. and um, 
We just want to say we love you. Yes, much. and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Thank you. And um, his wife is here too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because yep. you because We're, you serve too. Yeah. You serve. We've got a family affair here. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's the other aspect is people don't realize. I mean, she can tell you she was working that day because I remember the doctor, whenever he took me and Frenchie in, we weren't supposed to get a call, but the doctor that was treating us gave us his cell phone so that me and Frenchie can call our wives mm-hmm. before the army because he says, I know they mess it up. I've done this. You hear guys call your wives and let them know that you're okay because mm-hmm. then soon after she got the notification from the army that had been injured. Everything. I bet that was frightening. If I hadn't heard from him first, it would have been. And and Tanya said that it would be frightening if she hadn't heard from her husband first and would have, because she was comforted knowing the fact that yeah. she had talked with him, and that is a comfort. Yes, it is. Very that you could you could hear his voice, and know that he was okay. At least that part. Yeah. yeah he was still with me. Yeah, happens. he was still alive. So, um, thank you for that, doctor. Thank you for the doctor. He was cool. I wish, yeah. He was he was cool. That yeah. was awesome. So um, you said as you were reading through some of the reports last night, yeah. that um, some some of the soldiers in their report called you a hero. Yeah, the way that they, I think that's the thing. Like with PTSD, is um, you don't realize is um, when we read and we hear all these things. Oh, you're a hero. You did our country. We thank you for your service. You know, we appreciate that, but it dawned on me that I didn't see none of that. I didn't, you know, he was protecting our foreign service brother because they would have attacked him. If it weren't for them, they would have done this. And we don't see that. We don't see these heroic acts. All we see is, you know, I was scared to death. There's, you know, when I got hit by the car bomb, I was already on medication for a terrible experience earlier that happened that year. I was already suffering from stuff. Um, and then that happened. So, I mean, I was, once I realized what happened to me, I was terrified. I was mm-hmm. terrified. And, and so all these statements and everything you you read, you don't see that. That's not what you see. You know, and I think that's a, a lot of basis of PTSD is we take the experience and we internalize it negatively. You know, no matter how much people say that we were fearless and we did all this. The experience isn't a good experience. Oh. I mean, those things are horrible and Heck they're horrifying. Yeah. Why would you see it as a positive experience? All right. You're experiencing it. We aren't. We can put you as in the lime life, but you can't. You mm-hmm. were there. And it wasn't something for a lime life. But, uh, but to us, it is because you're protecting us. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when they make their statements, you have to you have to think it's a culture that we venerate because it's so indoctrinated. We venerate what I call a Johnny Hoorah. You know, so when we see it, we have to celebrate that. That's the soldier culture. You know, we, um, and, and then even if you suffer from it, you've got to play that part. I mean, because that's what we do. That's how we win. That's, I mean, that's just, that's just us. But what we want to teach you is to realize that our gratefulness is because of your suffering. Mm -hmm. And we want to say thank you to you Mm -hmm. because, you know, we didn't go through it. And we didn't have to go through it because of you. Well, one thing I've learned over years and 
2009 is 2019. So probably about a few months ago, I finally, it was a long process between talk therapy, grounding techniques, all sorts of stuff. And then I went through a final element, which I think is the whole spectrum of uh, something called spiritual healing. Um, But from 2009 till now, it was a huge process. And I think that's what PTSD is. uh, it It has to have all those components. It has to have people tell you that you're still cared about, that what you did. And for a long time, you're still not going to believe it. But eventually, it's one of those things that once you hear it enough times, it starts getting through. And then now you're ready for the next step of healing, reconnection. Mm-hmm. Reconnecting with these people that are talking things, you know. Because uh, one of the things we, in the service members we like to do is we like to alienate. You ever been on a military base? You ever see how yes. quiet it is? It's mm-hmm. not. It is. There's no kids out there playing mm-hmm. unless they're specific. It's, that's us. That's a perfect example of, of us. So it's a very isolated culture within ourselves. So it's hard for us to come back out and reconnect with people. But that's an important part of healing is reconnecting and understanding that because when you first come out, it's like they'll never understand. How can I describe these things? They'll never mm-hmm. understand. But you don't have to actually get them to understand the details. You just have to acknowledge that, hey, there are people that care about you. And you actually care about them, and that's the reason why you're acting the way you are. But you don't see it at the time. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get through that mm-hmm. You know, connection. Um and then healing. I have family in the military, and that's the only reason I see the military bases. And I do see the the coldness of it and the quietness of it. And mm. but there's also getting to be more trauma in the Air Force base and the Army base and those bases because people aren't holding up as well as they used to, and they, they're exploding. They started this program. It's kind of after the fact. There was a lot of lessons that they thought that they knew. You know, because of the Vietnam and World War II experiment with shell shock and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they thought that they had it handled. But Iraq and Afghanistan opened up a whole new can of worms mm-hmm. on the, because of the level of engagement that we yep. went. Because we went in protracted wars, you know. And What do you was, mean by that? Um, it just wasn't going in like we did in Desert Storm. Desert Storm, I was like 18. I mean, it was over within 100 hours. We had right. annihilated his army in 100 hours. It was a force-on-force. Mm-hmm. Um, Iraq and Afghanistan was an insurgency. It was just like Vietnam. We were among the people. You didn't know who the enemy right. was. You did not mm-hmm. know where we were coming from. We were trying to create governments, affect the people, different dynamics, different dynamics. And plus, we were there for like, you know, you go over there, you're going over there for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, Desert Storm, you know, once the battle was over and everything. I mean, I did 10 months in Desert Storm, but still, it was it was like the actual war part was over. When you're going over to Iraq and Afghanistan for a year, you're in contact for a year. You just don't know. You're going outside the wire. That might be your day. So you're mm-hmm. living under that high level of stress for a year mm-hmm. solid, you know, unless you get a two-week leave, you know. And then that's that happens so dang quick because you got to keep in your battle mind, what we call battle mind, mm-hmm. right? And so after the fact, so all these things happen. Oh, man, we made them go to long deployments. To, we got all these problems. They came up with some got to give the army and the different services they tried to oh man we got to get on top of this so they create resiliency programs and everything which i laughed at first because for the people fixing to go that will work how to get them to be resilient against it but how do you make resilient to the people that's already broke you're right what do you do with those guys let us have them you know? <laughs> i mean seriously yes <laughs> you know so that's why they've kind of amped up and, and they're still they still are trying to figure out all the little intricacies of PTSD 
because it affects us mm-hmm. differently. It, but it is real. It's very real. I, I made a lot of decisions at work. People don't understand why I made them. But I was very good at hiding my condition. You know, and I, I'm sitting on this radio tell right now. A lot of those decisions were based on my trauma because I, I was working under people that reminded me of people that gave me bad bad feelings through combat situations. Mm-hmm. It was based on that because PTSD, those feelings are so overwhelming, you know, yeah. and that's why guys end up self-medicating mm-hmm. um, or, God forbid, they commit suicide. Right. I've been there. Mm-hmm. I was so far down in a hole that the only way I thought out, you know, I mean, I've been there. I understand that. So, um, how did you get out? How did you get out of the hole? Healing. Having people that care about you. God. Ha- having people not give up on you. God. You know, because um, once you work your way back to things that are right, that you know are right, and then it feels right, um, and then realizing that you're, you were actually doing his work, you just didn't know it. It wasn't this evil corporation or it wasn't this evil, or, you know, whatever reason that guys get negative, that you're actually doing something good for you and your people. You know, it makes it a little bit easier. It, it doesn't, like, heal it overnight, but it makes it easier for you to do it, to actually look at it and be like, okay, that's the reason why I did that. And sometimes you know? it takes God to go in there and defuse what, mm-hmm. what you guys have learned to shut out and reopen. Yeah, reopen, but um, look at it and be like, you're doing my work, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. And take you away from that army and put you into his army. To his army. Like he did with you. Mm-hmm. And show you that you're still worth something and you can still live and you don't have to blame yourself for what happened and what you did and where, where you was at. That you were working for him mm-hmm. all along. And that's what I think every soldier needs to realize is that there's a reason why we went through what we went through. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when you exit the military and you suffer through all this, it's not that's not the final thing it just made you stronger because there, there's much more for the days ahead you know see they learn to be numb in the military when they come out they figure out what am I going to do when it comes back mm-hmm. and then they start feeling guilty when mm-hmm. it does come back we've worked with with military guys we had one guy in specific he, he felt guilty because men died under him mm-hmm. and he didn't die survivor's yeah. guilt yeah, yeah. survivor's, survivor's yeah. guilt mm-hmm. but you have to realize, like, I took myself off the pain meds. I took myself off the Ambien. I figured out different ways. They were harder, but I'm not self-medicating. I quit drinking. I, I, there, there are other ways for you to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to take everything that you learned as a soldier and apply it on, I'm not going to quit on yeah. myself. Like God did break you that know, wall down, exactly. too. Exactly. You know, because you're a soldier for a reason. You just got to mm-hmm. keep the fight up, you know, because um, we, we come under this after the fighting zone. We think that it's over. Remember what I called you in, my ki- in our kitchen over there? <laughs> you you were my diffused IED. Diffused IED. <laughs> I was in your kitchen. Diffused IED. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you got to fight to fight. Soldiers are good at fighting the fight. They just got to realize that um, sometimes you, the fight is internal. Yeah. You can't give up and you need all the help. You need your family support, and you need God. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who can defuse the IED. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Every man that numbs himself is an IED. Mm-hmm. That's what PTSD is. Yep. One ready to explode. No, you get stuck. Mm-hmm. You Triggers get exploded. Stuck. Yeah. Um, the exercise, talking to people. Um, one of my projects was uh, 
every day after Afghanistan, I went to the store and I said, okay, I'm going to say hi to one person. Mm. That connection. Mm -hmm. Oh, it terrified me. I did not want to say hi to anybody, but I did. And then the next week, I said hi to two people. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I bet there's smells and was triggers. There were smells and and sounds. Yep. But you you have have to make yourself go out. But you got to... You have to do what's called dual awareness. You have mm-hmm. to physically remind yourself or ground yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm there, but I'm actually here and I'm safe. Mm-hmm. There's no Taliban exactly. in the United States. There's no car bombs getting mm-hmm. me. There's no mortar attacks in this office. Mm-hmm. You practice taking your thoughts captive? Yes. Yes. Taking yeah. my thoughts captive. Yeah. 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 yeah, like feeling this table. I right. feel it brings me into the now so I don't mm-hmm. time travel back then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, Grounding is very important for yeah. PTSD. Well, when we return from break, we're going to um, actually, uh, Lawrence was a guest speaker at a Memorial Day celebration in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, back in 2011. We're going to talk about his little speech that he gave when we mm-hmm. come back. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to abbadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. Hi, we're back, and we've been talking with Lawrence Jefferson, who is a who was a staff sergeant in the um, in the army. He served in all of the wars that have been in Iraq, and he served in Afghanistan also. He was a guest speaker at a Memorial Day celebration in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, on May thirtieth, two thousand eleven. And he, um, do you remember what you said? Because I have your words here. Yeah. I was a staff sergeant then, Mm -hmm. but I did actually make the rank of sergeant first class. All right. Good for you. Memorial Day 2011. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said a lot of stuff. Yeah. Can I see see it? Yeah, Yeah. you can see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So I came here. I'm just going to quote what I said, That's actually. Fine. You know, That's I came fine. here today to intend on giving you a quick speech. 
Um, and then they gave a bio of all the stuff I did. So we all know that this day is not about a three-day holiday when you fire up the barbecue, relax, watch the parade, and let the good times roll. It is about remembering and honoring the fallen Americans that paid the ultimate sacrifice and service to our country and its citizens since its founding. To the ones that are dying to this very day in service to this magnificent nation, this is the flame of freedom to all. It's about the ones that truly gave their all. For me, many veterans like me and their friends and family Memorial Day is something deeper. I really cannot explain this deeper meaning. I would not know where to begin. I can only tell you there is nothing, and I mean nothing more meaningful in this world than when a person has his or her life taken away while in service to their country. Uh, then I talked about the different battles that I, uh, that I fought in, and I remember... I do remember that as uh, Afghan soldiers because I was part of a mentor team. Uh, we were embedded with the Afghans. And uh, and I remember he asked us why we served in our army and why we were there in his nation. And I thought about it for a minute and looked at my surroundings and opened up my arms and I told him this. He seemed confused and I asked what I meant. I explained to him that being proud of his people and his country, how he represented all that was good about his people and gave the, gave his people hope and security. That he served them so that they could enjoy the freedoms that he believed they should have, freedom from tyranny. How that he was willing to die if necessary for these precious things. We told him that is why we were there to help him have an identity. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, I do remember that. And then I, I remember I, uh, I read every, I read uh, yep. all the names of the fallen, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, I remember that. And I remember, um, I remember that Memorial Day was special because one of my uh, a guy that I earned my second degree black belt with, uh, Josh Kirk, uh, died the previous October in a major, major um, cop Keating battle. This highly publicized, um, and his his family was there, and so mm-hmm. I was talking to them as I was as I was as I was mm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just that's, that's fine. That's fine. Remembering Josh, just kind of yeah. That's fine. We um, we certainly understand that um, a loss of life for your country is the ultimate price. And yeah, I do remember that too. That was because I just wanted to hear the message that it, it goes beyond politics. It goes beyond everything. It goes be. It's just it's about people out there that are trying to do the right thing. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and 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 what they go through to do it. You know that that's the one day that you need to stop and just kind of take a minute and say thanks mm-hmm. you know veterans day that old world war ii guy that stopped by and say thanks mm-hmm. you know because if it weren't for him we would not have this exactly you know because people don't realize there are forces out in the world and i've seen them i've looked at dead in the eye i've looked at dead in the eye of the people that would that would love to do nothing more than take everything that we have away in this nation right here yeah i've seen it and I knew right then why I was there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's the reason people like us say thank you. Because the ones that would take it all away from us in a heartbeat, if you didn't go protect us from it, what would we do? We'd lose everything. And, and I know you say you didn't do it for the thank yous, but you know what? We have to say thank you. Mm-hmm. I know. There's mm-hmm. people like us that can't go fight it. Well, thank you. And, um, we love you, Lord. Yes. Okay. So we're having dead air here because we're trying not to just cry. Well, I cry the for the fallen. That's right. I do. That's I right. cry all the time for the fallen. 
And, um, and you know, every time we talk to a veteran, every time we talk to a veteran, the same love for the country and for the people of America and for the people with whom, for whom they are fighting when they're over there, um, it always comes out. And one of the things that always comes out, too, is if I had to, I'd do it all over again. In a heartbeat. That's every, one of of, every one of the veterans say that. I would do it in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I know every one of the fallen men that has accepted Christ, I will meet. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's going to be an awesome homecoming. Yep. An awesome homecoming. So, well, um, Lawrence, is there anything that, uh, in closing, is there anything you want to relay to veterans um, out in our listening audience, whether they be in America or anywhere else across the world, what would you say to them? If you're a veteran, even if you're in a foreign army and you're a soldier, there's one thing you really need to realize is that you are a hero, that you are worth it, that it does get better, that there's a reason for it, and you always have to fight, but you can't fight alone. Mm-hmm. All right? Just like our brother, we forget that when we get out. <laughs> We didn't fight. We didn't fight alone in the army, but we forget that when we get out, we feel so alone. And um, you need to remember that you just have a new platoon. There's mm-hmm. other brothers and sisters in arm out there waiting for you to keep on the fight. You just you need to find them in your own way. You know what you need. You need to find them. Don't give up. Because I'm living proof. It does get better, and you can do it. I have every faith in you. Mm-hmm. Every faith in you. And we want you to know anyone out there that may never meet us may never meet us but we're praying for you that's right and that we love you and because with god all things are possible he's he's the healer of hearts he's the healer of ptsd because he can heal the mind Mm -hmm. he can heal the body memories that you guys walk with you men and women warriors he can heal that he because God cares for you. And Myrna and I want to say to every serviceman out there. And woman. And woman. And, and even the fallen ones, we want to say thank you for serving for us. Mm-hmm. And the families. And the families. Them. That's yes. what I was just getting ready to say. And the families. <laughs> the thank families you. do a great job. Yes, They're they in do. the services, too. Oh, yes, yes they are. Yes, they are. You know, in, in closing, um, again, thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for every soldier that's out there and their families thank you so much and you know we will you can connect with us at um, God's Girl 7 on Facebook or Twitter God's Girl 7 email us if you would like albadaddyhouse7 at gmail or um, our website is albadaddygirls.com and um, and you can listen on demand for any of our past shows albadaddygirls.life again thank you Lawrence Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Nikel. One of his, what their, one of their children are here with us today. Thank you for having me. No problem. Wonderful, beautiful Nothing. family. Thank you, guys. Thank you, listeners. We will um, speak with you all next, next Friday. Friday. Thank you for being here this week. Be sure to join hosts Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher for another edition of Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Enjoy the upcoming weekend.
Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Influencers lead. But on Twitter, they also follow. Check out what the influencers are saying and talk back to us with 